name's Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. Nice to see you. You know, um, it's funny you said you recorded it because I thought this was that was this meeting, and um, I'm gonna burn a minute of my one of my ten minutes here. But I shared at this meeting like I don't know. I've, I've been sober six years, so I think it was like five years ago. I was this ten minute guy, and like three months after that, we were talking about someone in AA. And my friends like I was like, oh, I've never met that person, and they're like, oh, well, they spoke at Double Speaker. You should check out their their share. And I was like, how would you check out their share? And they're like, oh, they put it on the, the radio or the podcast or whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. I just spoke there. Like, I don't even remember that. I guess I'm on like the radio or whatever. So I went to like the website and my share was like conspicuously not there. And I was like, what? And I went and, and told my friends and they were like, I think you swore a lot in that share. And, and they sometimes don't post the ones where they swear a lot. So, uh, so it was helpful because I remember after that, I was, I was a little more conscious. Though it does say we share in general everyday language. So I think swearing is okay in AA meetings. But, um, but anyways, that's just my little anecdote um, about this meeting. I remember the room and everything. Um, okay, uh, it's 10 minutes. So um, I, didn't, I didn't drink. Uh, I'm six years sober. Um, my sobriety date is January 2nd, 2015. Um, my home group is The Late Show, which most of you probably know. It's in Oakland. Um, it's also online. We're two separate groups now, but it's 10 p.m., 365 days a, a year. It's a great meeting. Check it out, either one. Um, I have a sponsor. I sponsor people. I love AA. It's basically what my life is about. Um, I love that we say, I love that I get to say, hi, my name's Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. You know, when I was 26, I joined AA for about nine months. I left, I was dry for a year and a half. I drank again. And, um, and you know, that, that two and a half years was always weird. Cause like you had to make up this whole narrative for your life that didn't involve alcoholism. So you had to make these like weird excuses for why you weren't drinking. You'd have to be, I'd have to be weird around where I went to drink. So, like if people were drinking, I'd get kind of weird around it. Um, you know, like, like I went to prison. I'd have to explain that away. Like it was like, you know, a bad situation. Texas has messed up cocaine laws, you know, like all this stuff like that. And, um, I just, because basically it was like a dishonest representation of my life, right? Like it had just been bad circumstances, which was not true. The fact is that I was a very selfish, very self-absorbed um, drug addict and alcoholic, you know? And then I like here that I get to, I get to lean into that narrative, um, which is because that is the narrative of my life. Like there isn't another one, you know? Um and uh, so I get to be myself would be another way of putting it. Um, <clears throat> uh, I was 31. I'd been out for like four years. Um, I'd been trying to stop drinking for like a year. I, for four months, I just took drugs. That was my best idea, you know, because drinking would cause like blackouts and huge problems. Drugs, I could like, just my experience, I could kind of like got weird but like I could show up for work, just, I'd just be weird. You know, um, that didn't work on another bender. I was getting evicted. My girlfriend left me for my best friend. Um, I was losing my cars. I, like everything was a mess. I couldn't, I couldn't wake up in the morning without taking a bunch of pills and drinking. Then I, you know, I, I thought I was going to die in this room. 
I begged God to get me out of this room. Uh, I just, I'd wanted to die with dignity. That had become my obsession for the last month. I couldn't stop drinking. I was like, I just, like, I just wanted to end. I remember, I was like, I just wanted to end, like, at a bus stop sober. Like, like, I want to get hit by a car or, like, struck by lightning. But I just want people, because people have been telling me, like, you're an alcoholic. Like, I'm not going to stick around and watch this again. They, like, get that, like, you know, they couldn't look me in the eye. Like, and I knew what I looked like, like on some level, like I knew what I appeared to people and it kind of broke my own heart. You know what I mean? And I couldn't stop. And like, no one was sticking around. And I was like, like, I stopped worrying that I was going to die, but I was going to die like this. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was so like my, my ego really, actually, my ego, like couldn't bear it. You know, I was like, not like this. Like, I always thought I was like, the protagonist in a comeback story, you know? And so like, like, and then like the prison and the, the, you know, everything was just the setup, you know what I mean? To make like the comeback all the more cool. And so then when it dawned on you that you were actually like, maybe in just like the last chapter of like a, a mediocre book that had no point, um, it was terrifying to me. Um, so I begged God to get me out of this room. I said, I'll go back to AA, I'll do whatever they tell me. And I got this weird wave of relief. I mean, the next morning, I went to this room. I said, before I went in, I'm like, whoever wants to sponsor me, I'll let them sponsor me. Um, like the last person I wanted, anything they had, came up and said they'd sponsor me. And they were younger than me. They were not an attractive looking person. They looked kind of homeless. Um, they yelled at me. They, like, made me do the third step prayer on my knees. I'd done AA before. I thought this was weird. I knew this wasn't normal. But I was, like, also, like, I felt like I'd made this deal with God. So I was, like, we're just going to roll. I was so scared I would drink again that I was, like, just sure, yes, 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 yes. Um, there's a story that's not in the big book anymore where it says um, it's the woman's talking about meeting her sponsor. And, and she says, now for the first time in my life, um, I said a lucky and wonderful thing. I said, okay, you know, okay, I'll go to a meeting. Uh, okay, I'll get a sponsor. Okay, I'll work the steps. Okay, I'll take other people through the steps. You know, I think okay is like the most spiritual word in AA. You know, it's like, um, you just have to say yes to what we ask you to do. You know, it's so funny because I did it, right? I came to AA and then I left, right? So, and I went back out. It's like, it's crazy. We come in here like dying, like begging to not drink. And then people are just like, hey, do you want to make coffee? Do you want to get a sponsor? Do you want to do this thing we're doing? And like, you have to say no. You have to like say, you have to resist AA to leave AA. You know, it's crazy. We're so crazy. Um, anyways, I don't even know. I'm like, I, I'm down like two minutes. So um, this guy like railroaded me through a four step. I tried to quit once. I like, like I got out of the car. I was like, let me out of the car. He like got out of the car. And, and I was like, this is weird. Like, uh, this is so intense. Like, I don't want to drink, but like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm not going to. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He was like, hey, Aaron, look, everything we say in AA is a suggestion. He's like, and I know you don't like me. I don't even think you respect me that much. <laughs> he's like, but how old are you? And I was like, I'm 31. And he's like, okay, we're in this like weird parking lot in, in the Presidio of SF. And he's like, Look, look, just think about something. He's like, every best decision you've made with your mind has arrived you here 
in this parking lot with me, who you don't even like, who's like the last person who's speaking to you. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's like, and you asked me for help. He's like, so why don't you stop listening to your best thinking and get back in the car? Um, and I did. And, um, and I've done AA, you know, like I do AA, you know, I never liked what it, for the first, like, I remember I cried when I got a year. Cause I was like, not, this is miserable. Like I wasn't, you know, I was glad I wasn't dead and I had hope for the future, but I was not happy on a day. I'm happy. I'm happier now, <laughs> but I was not happy on a day-to-day level. But, um, but I knew, but things got different in AA and things were weird in AA and things happened in AA that I didn't know were going to happen. And that was enough for me. You know, um, it says in our program, if you're new, that we have a sufficient substitute for the experience of drinking, right? Because obviously, like, not obviously, but I had, um, like, I had cool girlfriends. I had a good job. Uh, I went to Stanford University. You know, like, I had some stuff. I was athletic. I was on sports teams. Like, but I preferred the experience offered to me by consuming ethyl alcohol over all those things. Do you know what I mean? So, like, AA had to do more for me than those things did for me. And on top of that, more for me than what alcohol did, did for me, right? So that's like a tall order. And the best I can figure it, about 30 seconds, is I was in a monstrous, like, suicidal level of pain when I came here. And that was my own doing and a result of my drinking and a result of my actions that caused me to drink and the result of being really, really spiritually sick, you know? And, um... If you work the steps, if you do AA, you get to be a small part of, or at least a witness. I get to be a witness on a daily basis. That's my time. Um, of other people getting out of the pain that I was in when I came here. And like, I don't know what it is about being an alcoholic, but watching people exit the kind of pain that only we know we are in like watching that joy re-enter their life, like that experience is better than drinking for me. And so I stay in AA. The trick though, is you got to work the steps to be able to be part of that experience. Do you know what I mean? So like, you don't really work the steps for yourself. You work the steps so that you're like someone who can gain the trust of someone in a lot of pain so that you can talk honestly about the things you've done and do it without shame and do it with pride and, you know, do it as like a, a sober person. So they're like, Oh, I could, I could be that that's available for me. This guy's like me and I could do that. And that's what people did for me. And, and um, that's what I try and do for other people. And I'm really looking forward to what Kate has to say. So thanks. I'm Kate and I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Hi guys. I'm really glad to be here. I have this vague feeling that I may have spoken at this meeting years ago Um and if that's right, it was a it was a great meeting, and I really liked everybody, and uh, and uh, so I'm happy to be back. Um, uh, I have no idea what I'm going to say, so it's going to be interesting for me <laughs> what comes out. And what I'm about to say is, uh, my understanding is that three percent of uh, alcoholics ever sober up. But the thing is that those statistics change radically the minute you ask for help. 
The thing is that most alcoholics are either on the end uh, on the end of the spectrum that says uh, problem what problem I'm just doing fine thank you very much uh, or the other end of the uh, of the spectrum which which says oh my god I'm so terrible I'm down here in the gutter it's hopeless it's you know it, there's no way I can possibly ever change and those people will not ask for help but the rest of us have uh, a chance if we ask for help. And the minute you ask for help, your chances of recovery just go zooming up. Uh, recently, I heard uh, from a friend of mine who, who seems to be who seems to be turning into the the, the local scholar of AA, uh, uh, um, John C. Uh, Tells uh, tells us that that there's a, a study that got done. Well, there was a study done probably seventy five years ago, in which uh, they people came to the conclusion that the people in AA followed closely what what went on with people who came to AA, and uh, they concluded that um, that. After all was said and done, about 75% of the people who came to AA stayed sober. That includes a few initial uh, uh, slips. We, uh, we, re relapse has gotten to be a much more popular term, so I, I guess I'll use that. But, but in any case, um, people, most people may not have suddenly taken their last drink uh, um, at their first meeting. Uh, that was true of me. I had probably six or seven slips when I was in my first year. Uh, I would, I would, I could go. I would be fine for six weeks or a couple of months, and then something would throw me into an anxiety. It wasn't a full-on panic attack, but it was one of those things where you know when the bottom of your stomach drops out, and you think, uh, "I don't know how I'm going to get through the next thirty seconds without disintegrating." Uh, I didn't know how I was going to get through the next 30 seconds without disintegrating, and except that I knew to go get some alcohol, and I would do that. And I would bring it back to my house, and I would drink it, and then I would get on the phone, and I would call a bunch of AA friends, you know, and, and I wrang my hands and waved my arms and said, oh, my God, it's terrible. I've done it again. And they were great. You guys were great. Uh, they said to me, you know, they're there and well, you know, you're you're on the phone. You're certainly trying to stay sober. Depending on the time of day and my condition, they would offer to take give me a ride to a meeting or they would say, you know, sleep it off and we'll talk tomorrow and, and we'll get to a meeting. Um, I had my last drink uh, on uh, May 23rd, 1971. Which is preposterous. I realize that I am. I am. I am a professional youngest child, and I'll have more to say about that. Um, so the idea of my having been sober for half a century just seems really very surreal. But the fact there it is. I have, and um, and and if if not that, I would certainly certainly have been dead or locked up long, long ago. Um, I started drinking 
I think, well, I came from a family that I used to say in AA meetings was a normal upper middle class family. I'll tell you more about that later. But um, I, uh, I would say that I came from a reasonably normal upper middle class family. Nobody was hitting each other and uh, neither of my parents was alcoholic. Uh, my grandmother was alcoholic. She lived with us, my mother's mother, and she never had a drink until she was in her 50s. And by God, she had the gene because the, in, my parents would invite her to have a highball with them before dinner. They were moderate drinkers and they never had any trouble with it at all. So they gave her a highball and she was off to the races from the very, very first time. It was She once came into the room thinking to you know bring a little novelty into the pre-dinner evening and she came in with a bottle of Listerine and smiled pleasantly at everybody and said I thought we could try this tonight um so uh I started drinking at, in high school at parties which is what I think most people do uh and from the very get-go uh alcohol did to me and for me what it did not do to and for the 90% of, of people who aren't alcoholic, uh, I was, uh, I was instantly, you know, the whole thing, better looking, much more, much more comfortable, much more social, much more self-confident. And in fact, I have to tell you that, that I actually did dance better drunk, uh, up to the point where I couldn't stand anymore, but up to, but, you know, other than that, I could, I danced better drunk. Uh, and I also had somebody tell me in college that I was the only person she knew who made more sense drunk than sober. I understand that. Uh, I was more confident sober and I, and I, and I'm a fairly good gabber. And so, uh, I, until I got to the point where I was slurring my words and falling down, you know, I understand what she what she was saying, um, but that you know the thing is alcoholism is a a, a progressive disease. I knew uh, that you that you could be female and be alcoholic, but I didn't think you could be eighteen and, and be alcoholic, which is ridiculous. Uh, but there it was. That's what I thought. Uh, so. I thought the thing, and I want to throw this in, I think uh, a lot, you know, there's a lot of talk in AA about how terrible I was for trying to, to drink the right way and get it right for years and years and years. Well, here's the thing. Um, 90% of the population isn't alcoholic, and there's absolutely no reason to think uh, that I was alcoholic uh, except for it's going on long enough where, you know, any fool could see that I just couldn't do it. I thought that I simply hadn't learned how to drink normally or responsibly yet. And I bet most of you have gone through the same thing. You know, I'm going to learn how to do this. Uh, and people, you know, poke fun of themselves about that in AA. And I think they're being hard on, their, on themselves unnecessarily because, why would you not think that, you know, unless, unless every, every last person in your family is alcoholic, I suppose you could make a case for that. But so I kept trying to get it right and, and I kept failing. Um, and I went from, 
um, embarrassing myself at parties and alienating people for saying things that I thought were, were you know, uh, um, candid and honest and loving suggestions, you know, and the next morning I would remember what I had said and it's the kind of thing you just simply can't say to anybody, you know. Um, I went from doing that kind of drinking to uh, getting fired multiple times. And I, and I would like to put in a good word for getting fired. Um, if, if you think, if you... You know, if, if you're getting fired for getting drinking, you know, that, then your job is the least of your problems. Uh, alcoholism, when I first came to AA, there were a bunch of us who were more or less littermates, and we were all looking at the big book and laughing and pointing at Bill's prose style. Uh, I mean, you know, he is he was a bit of a showboat, and uh, and he talked about, you know, King Alcohol's Mad Realm, denizens of King Alcohol's Mad Realm, and, and uh, all of this language that was, that was just uh, enormously melodramatic, you know, and we said, we thought that, that, this was back in the 70s, you understand, we said that we thought Capote ought to rewrite the, the big book, which is particularly ironic because Capote certainly could have used the big book. Um, Anyway, uh, I stayed around and little by little I realized that it wasn't melodramatic at all. He was just giving the news. Uh, alcohol is, you know, every bit as terrible as, as Bill Wilson's purplest prose. Uh, and uh, that's what we have to come to, to realize, most of us. Uh, and, and we resist it. You know, to the end, many of us, because we just, because we think alcohol is going to fix it all. Alcohol was not the problem. Alcohol was the solution. Um, and that's the way it felt. I remember I am a native Californian and I grew up in L.A. and I came up here to college and, and just ended up here. Um but there was a point at which I did uh, a stint in New York City, and um, uh, and I was once uh, well, and I went to a few AA meetings, and I loved the meetings, and I loved what they were saying, but I could not get myself to be willing to change my lifestyle to the extent of of going to a meeting every day. It just felt like like too much of a change in my life. Um, plus, I had a boyfriend who thought AA, AA was terrible and he'd rather see me drunk than an AA because AA teaches you how to be, how to be weak and dependent. Uh, I know, I, I rolled my eyes too, but later. Um, anyway, uh, so after a few meetings, and I wasn't drinking at the time, I remember a rainy Saturday, I was on a cross-town bus in Manhattan, and I started thinking, and I thought, you know, that time that, uh, uh, that I, there was such a terrible, terrible scene uh, when I said such and such to so-and-so, and it was so awful. You're, I was drunk then. 
And then I thought, well, actually, you know, that the time the time I was at a party and and uh, uh, did all of those terrible things with somebody or other, uh, I was drunk. I mean, it had taken me. Uh, and I'm not stupid. We are absolutely blind to this stuff while we're still drinking. Um, it had taken me all that time to realize that every single time I'd gotten into terrible trouble, I was drunk. You know, what a surprise. Um, so... So that was good. That was, that, you know, I, it took me, it took me every drink that I ever had to get to the point where I was able to sober up. Um, in, in that case, in New York City, which was in the mid to late 60s, um, yes, I lived through the garbage strike. Um, I, uh, um, I would, uh, I would, I would really try not to drink because it was very scary. I mean, it was really scary. Uh, and in New York, I became a bar drinker. Uh, I don't know how many of you have read Looking for Mr. Goodbar, but when I read it after I had gotten to AA, the blood drained right out of my head because, you know, the, this woman goes, this woman, the protagonist of that book is going, she's not an alcoholic. She's going to Boris specifically looking to find somebody who will kill her. Uh, I was not doing that. I wasn't even going to Boris to look for people uh, uh, to be romantically involved with. I was going to bars to have conversations with people that I wouldn't have to apologize to the next day. Um, uh, really, you know, and there are, and in New York, there are a lot of bars, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually have to hit two bars for, for a long time in New York. Um, but the thing is, once I was there and drinking, you know, and I was not bad looking, I was, I was in my late twenties and, uh, you know, some guy would come up to me and, uh, I have, uh, it took me a while to realize that probably, probably most, uh, young women alcoholics, um, have spent a fair amount of time waking up in places they didn't recognize with people they'd never seen before. Uh, and uh, we are simply so lucky that we didn't end up getting dismembered. Um, and uh, I was never harmed. I was never threatened. It's just astounding to me that I lived through all that. Um, but I did not, I did not sober up in New York. I, uh, I had a cold one time. I was a smoker. I was, that's the hardest thing I've ever done is quit smoking. Um, I, uh, I had a bad cold and I had bronchitis and the, and somebody told me to go take turpenhydrate cough syrup with codeine. Um, well, the turpenhydrate cough syrup is, is, I don't know, is it, is it 20 proof, you know, at least? So, so there's that. Um, but also uh, the codeine, uh, which is an opiate, you could sign for it over the counter without a prescription. Uh, the codeine uh, calmed me down so that I was not in the danger I was in going bar drinking. 
uh, I would, if I took turpin hydrate cough syrup, I would just sit at home and, and nod pleasantly at the TV. Um, so, you know, in some ways it was an improvement, but uh, I couldn't get off it. And I, and I really just couldn't stand it anymore because it would take me weeks of, of uh, being really uh, very sick at both ends uh, for days and days. Uh, and I ended up finally going to the hospital. I went to a guy who, who uh, an MD who felt he was a, um, an expert in addiction and he admitted me to a hospital and so I got taken off that stuff and, and, and astonished myself three weeks later when I suddenly realized uh, lo and behold I could drink normally now and uh, it was probably I don't know a couple of weeks before I could before uh, I could vaguely vaguely see myself going down for the third time um, and that was probably, so I wasn't drinking codeine anymore, but I was back on the booze. Uh, I had been fired multiple times. I came back from New York uh, and I went to AA because it was all that was left. I'd had a lot of therapy uh, and therapy simply did not do me any good when I was still drinking. Uh, I did get some, uh, some interesting academic information about myself. You know, but it didn't make me feel any different. Uh, the amazing thing about AA for me has been that it made me feel different from the very get-go. Uh, there was something about, it was, it was simply astonishing that I would go to a meeting uh, and people were talking about things that, that I thought I was the only one who thought. Uh, you know, there was a, there's an old saying in AA about... Um, uh, I felt like somebody, I felt like they'd been reading my mail, you know. Uh, most of us come to AA at least half convinced that we're some sort of one-person species. Uh, and then we sit down in this room where people are not pointing their fingers at us, they're talking about themselves. But it sounds exactly like what's going on with us. It was amazing. Uh, and I was... Uh, I finally, I was ready to go, I was ready to commit to uh, going to AA regularly. Uh, AA has been, hands down, the most important experience of my life, uh, and also the most humanizing, uh, because I had, you know, all of the usual prejudices and biases that, that we all have when I came into AA, and I met all kinds of people who, as the book says, uh, uh, wouldn't wouldn't have crossed my path. Uh, but when I came to AA, uh, those people and I had so much in common uh, that it absolutely opened my brain uh, to how much all of us, and I mean, I don't mean all of us in AA, I mean all of us, all of us who can talk, have in common um it's just been amazing um i got a sponsor right away and that was good uh and i have worked the steps um 
I did not have, I, I would, I look back on it and I think it would have been nice if my sponsor had been a little more aggressive with me about the steps. Uh, I did them, but, but, um, but she wasn't really pushing me about it. Um, although, you know, I mean, if she pushed me about it, I might very well have dug in my heels. I can tell you <clears throat> that I <clears throat> didn't get around to taking my formal eighth step until I had 16 years sober. And that was because um, I had this idea um, that, that I had been so awful to so many people that I probably couldn't even get it down all down on paper, let alone live with it. And so I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. You, I, I certainly should have known better. I mean, I was doing some other sensible things. I sponsored people myself. I um, I talked at meetings. I did secretarying. Um, I um, uh, was an intergroup rep once before I came to my senses. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I did a lot of stuff, and and my life was was not comparable to what it had been before I came to AA, let alone uh, the drinking. But um, but so it took me until I had 16 years to write this eighth step. And then I read it to my sponsor, same sponsor. And she uh, said, well, that's not anything you owe an amend about. Well, that's not anything you owe an amend about. And probably the most valuable lesson I got from reading my sponsor, my eighth step, was uh, that I learned the difference between uh, between harming somebody else and embarrassing myself in public. Uh, certainly I owed myself amends for that, <clears throat> but, uh, and I did owe some amends and I made them. Um, I want to get back to the family a little. Uh, well, before I do that, I will say that I, I've done a lot of stuff in a half a century in AA. Uh, I've been married and divorced. <clears throat> I've never had children. I, I, that's all up to the higher power. I certainly uh, had a misspent youth, that, and I wasn't careful, and I have never, ever gotten pregnant. Uh, but, I, but I do have uh, children, you know, that are covered with hair and walking on all fours, and that's, and that's, I mean, they won't, they won't go to Harvard and they won't support me in my old age, but, you know, but they're, they're wonderful anyway. You've seen them already, if you were looking carefully. Um, that's Buki and Busby. Um, the thing about, uh, let's see, oh yeah, um, what have I done? I've, uh, I learned how to, I learned how to garden. Um, I learned how to train a dog. I had big dogs. That the, the dog you saw today is an Affen Pincher, which is a tiny dog, which I've discovered as a as a a, a, um, a genuine shriveled, withered old crone living on a fixed income. A tiny dog is what I can afford to feed. But um, but before that, I spent 20 years with Bouviers, which are enormous, and I did a lot of good stuff with them. We, I showed them in obedience, and I did therapy uh, therapy service with them, uh, and and that was that was great. 
So uh, I I was not desperate to have children in any case. So so that wasn't an enormous loss to me. Um, I uh, let's see. I joined two of the world's great religions, and I think mostly the reason I I joined the Catholics for a while was that my father had been a Catholic convert, and he was the one who liked me. And although he had he died shortly before I sobered up, um, I was I was just lonely, and somehow or other I was not feeling all that tightly connected with AA. My fault, of course. Uh, and I joined the Catholic Church. I mean, I didn't think my father was, I, I mean, I know they like to say they do miracles, but I didn't think they were going to produce my father. Uh, still, I, I, I did that uh, for a while. And, uh, and I'm a, an old Zen student, which I like a lot. Um, uh, I've learned a lot of stuff. Uh, I would not say that my uh, my best day drunk. Is that how it goes? My worst day sober. Uh, it was not better than my best day drunk. Uh, I've had some tough things happen sober, uh, and I stayed sober. But I I was not you know I was not just the picture of serenity for all of it. Um, the stuff about the family. I want to say this when I first came to AA in, uh, in, in Berkeley, in El Cerrito, in 1970, uh, I really, really wanted to talk to somebody about my mother. And I started to do that, and what I got back as an answer was, oh, grow up. And so I, well, I understand that, that people don't want to give newcomers excuses to drink. You know, we got here. We got here by ourselves, and um, and we, you know, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And I understand that. However, uh, and well, and for years, I simply went on the on the theory that you know I had the genes for it and all of that. But in the last, well, I will say this: I owe Donald Trump a, a debt of gratitude because Donald. Donald Trump was a public uh, model of narcissism, and uh, and I got to look at that in action, and I suddenly realized that it reminded me a great deal of my mother. Uh, and I had spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it was with my mother, because, of course, you see all of my life, I was a scapegoat. Uh, my mother was, you know... Was my mother? I've had various therapists tell me that she did not wish me well. Uh, I was the youngest child and the only daughter. And by the time I was four or five, if I came home from school uh, saying, uh, Ooh, guess what I did today? You know, something I accomplished, she would say, Oh, the great you. Uh, and that's the way, that's the way I was brought up. Uh, sometimes she was nice, which is probably worse. Here's the thing. I have come around to the realization that the vast majority of us did not grow up with the Brady family. Uh, yes, we have the gene. Probably the, the, the vast majority of us have the gene for alcoholism. But we also, uh, I think, most of us come from 
families that were disturbed in some way that really affected the way we were formed and the way we thought about ourselves. Uh, I recently started going to ACA, which I'm finding very helpful because the focus is on what I think I need to work on. Um, uh, my mother clearly didn't get the way she was in a in a vacuum, you know, and neither did her mother, and neither did her mother, all the way back to the garden, you know. So, I need, thank you. I needed to get to the point where I, uh, where I didn't think it was all my fault, as I had thought all my life, and then also get past that to realize it wasn't my mother's fault either. Uh, the two things have to coexist. The fact that the fact that my mother was was ill and the fact that I was deprived of stuff that was really necessary for me to be really mentally healthy. And so that you put that together with the gene and all of the other things. And it's not at all surprising uh, that I was thrilled to death to find something that allowed me to escape from the way I felt by the time I was in my teens. So I want to mention that because uh, we didn't ask to have all of the all of the emotional problems that many of us have, uh, and I think we need to. In so many ways, alcoholics are terribly hard on themselves. Uh, uh, God, you know, I shouldn't. It was all my fault that da 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 da. -da. I haven't mentioned the higher power at all. I suddenly realized, and it's high time. Um, I was cynical about it when I first came into AA. And I spent a lot of time, but they're telling me you got to have one or you're not going to make it. And I believe them. Uh, I spent a lot of time looking at different species of trees. Uh, and one of the things that happened, I did a lot of reading. I should say Be Here Now was instrumental in my early sobriety. Uh, I was, uh, I was uh, taken to Yosemite by a friend who was going to sober me up. And he was pointing out that Certain species of pine trees have their needles in clusters of three, and others have them in clusters of five. And I, you know, it was just the right moment, and I thought, wow, order in the universe. Uh, and I really believe that. I believe there is order in the universe. I also discovered that, that all of the people who think about this stuff, who've never had anything to do with each other, you know, they're continents away from each other, uh, have come to the same conclusion. You know, that there's this central thing that is, that we are probably all part of. Um, but I'm not here to, to convince you to have my higher power. The main thing is the higher power is, is given the broadest possible definition you know people come in and say uh the uh the AA, AA is terrible it's it talks about god all the time well what what aa says about god is that you know you can pick a higher power that's 
anything you can anything you can believe in that's greater than you are. And sometimes that's the group. I have a friend who's got 37 years sober, uh, who's still uh, a determined atheist. And what he says is that we are all connected to each other by a golden thread. Uh, and I think that's right. I think we are all connected to each other by a golden thread. Uh, and in my case, I think the golden thread is a little like Indra's net in which well, the whole universe is connected to each other part of itself uh, with a perfect jewel. Um, I got one minute. What do I want to say? If you're new, don't trust what you think any further than you can throw it. Um, just go to meetings and uh, and get yourself a sponsor and uh, and and give your cut yourself some slack, uh, and and if you're if you've been around a long time, it doesn't mean that you have to be happy all the time or something's wrong. Uh, you know, life goes up and down with us, and we and we go up and down with it, and I think that's normal. Um, I'm really uh, very glad to be here, uh, and I hope what I've said makes some sense, but uh, it's my story, and, uh, and, and so I guess it's, it made sense to me, um, and I don't know what I'd do without you guys, so thank you, thank you. I'm very grateful to know you.